Well, since we're in Florida, I bet at least some of you have a hurricane plan, right? How many people have a, some kind of hurricane plan? Something, even if, even if your plan is, I better get a plan. <laughs> that's, a, that's a plan. And, you know, we have at the preschool, we have fire drills regularly. We have to have a plan in case of a fire, right? We have plans for things that might go wrong. So I'm wondering how many of you have a leprosy plan? Uh-oh. You don't have a plan for what happens if you get leprosy? Well, you're in luck because the Bible gives us some step-by-step plans for what to do when you get leprosy. So kind of as a PSA, I'll share those steps with you today. So step one, if you think you might have leprosy, get yourself to a priest. That's what the scriptures say to do. Now, there's some things that we need to understand, and the priest can kind of help us with this. First of all, we think when we hear leprosy, I'm assuming most of us think of one particularly bad disease. I think it's called Hansen's disease that just totally ruins you and and horrible. And that's what when we think of leprosy, I think most of us, that's what I think of. In the Bible, though, the word leprosy covers a huge range of different skin disorders, things that might appear on you, and it can go all the way from what we call Hansen's disease all the way down to maybe like eczema. So leprosy in the Bible is a huge range of things, and according to the Bible, what you have, it may or may not be leprosy. And the person in charge of deciding is actually the priest, which might seem kind of funny, but the whole deal with skin diseases, leprosy, when it comes to scripture, is not the hygiene of it. I think it's assumed that everyone, you know, if you start to have something, you know, you wash it, you show good hygiene, but it becomes very important for worship whether you have this kind of skin disease. Because the Hebrews saw this leprosy as a sign of death creeping into life. And worship, praise of God for the Hebrews was all about life. And so if you had this leprosy, that was a sign of impurity, of death creeping in. It may or may not have anything to do with you. It doesn't necessarily say you're a sinful person or any of that, but it's a sign of death. And so it cannot be part of the worshiping community. That's how the scriptures are set up. That's why leprosy was such a big deal. And so it's the priest, I don't know, it's the priest though who's in charge of deciding whether or not you have leprosy. So that's why you're step one, you get to a priest. Now the priest will look at it and maybe one of three things will happen. The priest will say, nope, not leprosy, you're good to go. And then you can go back to your life. So that's really good. The priest might look at it and say, not sure. And then you just know the priest is going to keep his eye on you. (laughs) You kind of go on the no-fly list. They're going to make sure that you're not uh, spreading around too much, but you don't officially have leprosy yet. But maybe then the third thing happens is the priest looks at it and kind of according to the rules says, yes, you do have leprosy. So then you move to step two, which is that you got to go. 
You have to get out of, if it's a very small group, you have to get out of the camp. If you're in a city, you have to leave the city because that impurity that is around you, that rubs off on other people, according to Leviticus. And so if other people are around you, then they can't worship. They can't go to the temple. They can't participate with the religious community either. So you have to kind of be quarantined. You have to get out of the camp. That is step two. You have to leave. Step three is that you can't just go out there and then connect with people out there. That would defeat the purpose. So when you leave in step three, you have to wear your clothes a particular way. You have to wear torn clothes. You have to mess up your hair so that everyone can look. You have to cover the bottom part of your face. You have to, it has to be very clear that you currently have leprosy and that people should not approach you. In fact, you have to yell, according to Leviticus 13, unclean, unclean, so that no one comes too close to you. This is pretty difficult stuff if you are unfortunate enough for this to happen to you. But people would heal. You know, just things would happen. Maybe miraculously, maybe just nature took its course and you heal. So then you go to step four. You have to go back to the priest. And the priest looks at you and checks out and might say, nope, you still have leprosy. Or yes, you've been healed. And then here's some steps. There's further steps that come to that point that you have to do to kind of make everything back in balance, and then you get on with your life. So step four, you might have to go back, but maybe you are set free. Being isolated during this time when you have leprosy, this you know, could be disastrous for you, but they must have felt at least we have a plan. <laughs> right? Just like some of us in Florida feel, you know, those hurricanes, they're so disastrous, but, you know, like, at least we have a plan. What else can we do? The 10 people that we hear about in the gospel today, there's 10 people who have leprosy. They are following the plan when Jesus encounters them along the road. They are keeping their distance. Luke is very clear to tell us they're keeping their distance when they ask for mercy. Because when you're out there, and this is kind of a gray area in the rule, but you can ask for, you know, they would ask for a little bit of food, a little bit of money, since you're cut off from your family, from your community, you needed any help you could get. So they stood at a distance and they asked for mercy, which normally would have been food or money, although they seem to know that something is special about Jesus. And so they ask Jesus by name, Master, have mercy on us. Now, from the very beginning of this gospel, Luke, who wrote this gospel, wants us to know that something more is happening here, even down to the way that he describes these people, because he does not, although our translation is kind of a mistranslation, it just calls them lepers, the lepers, the ten lepers. But Luke is very careful to say it's ten people with leprosy, ten leprous men. Very clearly wanting us to see that these are people we're dealing with here. And right away, Luke tells us, and this is always a sign in the Gospel of Luke, that Jesus sees them. 
Now this word sees, you know, he sees them. It seems pretty small, but every time in Luke, when someone sees something, it's important. Luke says, you will see salvation. Seeing is very important to Luke. And Luke tells us Jesus sees these 10 people with leprosy. He saw them. And he tells them, go and show yourselves to the priests. So Jesus is saying, go on ahead to step four, because you're going to be cleansed by the time you get there. So go on ahead to the priests, and when you show them, you'll be good to go. Jesus is essentially saying, skip ahead to step four, you're there. And they do it, and just like that, as they leave, all ten are cleansed. Which means that by the time they get to the priest for step four, they show themselves they will be set free. That part is very important. They have to go through the steps. And so the ten leprous men are thinking, the plan works. We followed the steps, and it worked. Great. But something more is going on, right? One of the ten, ten leprous men are healed, but one of them, Luke says, saw, there's that word, he saw something, he saw that he was healed along the way, and he turns back. He lays down at the feet of Jesus, and he praises God. That's the first thing he does. He praises God, and then he thanks Jesus. Jesus tells him to rise and says his faith has made him well, or made him whole, or his faith has saved him. Those are all different ways you could translate this word that Jesus uses. Your faith has saved you, has made you whole. What's interesting is there's kind of three different words here that get used for what happens to the ten leprous men here. First, it says that as they go, they are cleansed. And that happens to all of them. This, the physical action that happens happens to all ten. No matter what, even before there's any praising or thanking, all ten are cleansed. But then when the one sees what has happened, he sees that he is healed. So the word takes a, another step. We go from cleansed to being healed. He sees that it's not just a cleansing that's happened, something deeper something miraculous. He sees that God has done something. He has been cleansed. And so he goes and he praises God because he saw God in what had happened. And that's when Jesus says, your faith has saved you, has made you whole. So we went from being cleansed to being healed to being saved or made whole. And along that progression, nothing different has happened. That same cleansing that the one Samaritan leper got that turned back is the same cleansing that happened to the other nine. The physical action was not different, but it was that he saw it. He saw the healing, and his faith saved him, made him whole. He doesn't return just to give thanks to Jesus. Now, we tend to see this, I think, and this is certainly the way that I always saw this story as a lesson in always saying thank you, right? You better say thank you. <laughs> 
But he doesn't return initially to thank Jesus. The first thing he does is give praise to God, even before there's a thank you. Because of what he has seen, he can't help but give praise to God. And then he thanks Jesus. But it's not as if the thanks is a repayment, right? Well, I can't pay you, Jesus, but at least I can say thank you. That's not what's important. It's the praising God. That's what really true gratitude is. It's not a feeling or an action that you owe to someone. And I always feel, you know, I was taught right by my parents that you should always write a thank you card. And I think that is a good thing to do. But I mess that up a lot. (laughs) And I feel like it is somehow owed. But that's not really true gratitude if you feel like you owe a thanks to someone. True gratitude is this wholly different relationship that you realize that is completely based on gift, not based on something you could ever earn or pay for, but based on a gift you receive. It changes your relationship. The Samaritan sees this gift that he has been given, that he could never earn, he could never pay for. It wasn't the plan. It wasn't following the plan that did it. It was God who did it. Gratitude sees the gift. It sees the goodness of God. It sees that we don't deserve it, yet still receive grace. That's what gratitude is. This relationship that gratitude creates in us, between us and God, this, this is what saves us. This is what makes us whole. Now, you might see your stuff, the stuff that you have in your life, the stuff around you, you know, all the different stuff of life. You could see it as rightfully yours. And I wouldn't argue that with you. I know many of you work very hard for what you have. You work hard for the things that are yours. You're following plans, right? And you have worked for it, so I'm not going to argue. The nine lepers looked at their healing. They looked at this cleansing that happened to them, and I think they saw it as the result of working the plan. They were working the plan. You could almost say that they earned it, right? They followed the steps like they were told to do. Healing came to them. They went to see the priests, and they were freed. You could almost say that they earned it by doing the right thing. They were following the rules according to leprosy. But the one looked at the healing and saw something deeper. He saw something else. He saw the grace that was in it, which means that he saw God. We are called to look at, to see, to really see the way Luke wants us to see what we have been given. We could look and see the things that are ours and only ours, right? It belongs to me. It doesn't belong to you. I worked for it. I earned it. But look again and see also the threads of grace that are just attached to everything we have, like wrapped around everything in our lives, our possessions, our relationships, our skills, our personalities, Look and see how grace is just tied around 
all of those things. So that whatever our fortune, whether it's really big or really small, God's grace has woven through it. And when you see it the way that the Samaritan leper saw it, you'll see something more, something deeper than just your own stuff. You'll see something more than just the next step and a plan that you have to follow. When you look deeper and follow those threads of grace back to the source, you will see God, where they came from. You'll see those threads of grace coming to you from God and then extending from you to others. Your stewardship, you know, what you do with the gifts you have. Your generosity, it's not like saying an obligatory thank you, you know, that you have to say because of what you have received. When we make an estimate of giving as members of the church, which we'll be doing in the next few weeks, estimating how much we are sharing back with the church and the people around us, when you do this, it's not like saying thank you, somehow repaying God. It's a recognition of this graceful relationship that connects us. It's seeing the grace that's wrapped around each of us, that wraps us to each other. And then it's seeing how that grace moves out then and connects us to the world around us. Maybe even connected in ways that we didn't want to be connected, but grace connects us to the world all around us. Gratitude may be our most important spiritual practice. Gratitude. Not because it somehow repays God for the gifts that we have been given, but because it allows us to see, to really see what we have already received. It allows us to see God. That is what makes us whole. Amen.